Hi, welcome back to our podcast, Defining You with Dr. DeVries, uh, where we make psychiatry great again. This is episode seven. Um, the topic is quite psychedelic because it's on actually psychedelics. And I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Vincent Fryer, who is going into his third year of psychiatry residency. Thank you, Dr. DeVries. It is great to be here as usual. So, Dr. DeVries, what is the topic du jour? Uh, before I start, I just wanted to say we had a quite long pause between the episodes, and I know that in the beginning I said it would be a bi-weekly thing. However, as in everything, life got in the way. Uh, I actually was applying to forensic psychiatry fellowships, and that took quite some time to get in all the applications. And then I got into the phase of uh, going into kind of laziness in my, at the end of my third year of psychiatry, but now we're back. Complacency. Right. So, so I just wanted to say, why start with uh, psychedelics in the first place? So I think, uh, first of all, I have a lot of patients ask me about esketamine and what it does, what it's used for. And oftentimes I have to go on a rant and explain it of why it's not the right fit for them. I find that in my patients, there are few patients that is truly the right fit. So I just wanted to go on there and actually go over all the psychedelics and what they do. So when we think about the word psychedelic, usually we think of psilocybin, LSD. But to be honest with you, this term has been broadened uh, pretty extensively. There are other words including hallucinogens, psychedelics, and they're kind of used interchangeably. So realistically, the term psychedelic was coined back 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 in 1956 70 years ago from the greek words meaning mind manifesting so when we look at hallucinogens we kind of have a couple classes so we have the classic psychedelics ones your parents probably told you about psilocybin lsd dmt and mescaline also known as peyote there's also the more dissociative psychedelics like esketamine, ketamine, PCP, nitrous oxide, and empathogens. So these are drugs you probably hear about in the news, party drugs like MDMA or ecstasy. So Dr. DeVries, can you give us a little bit of the history on psychedelics? Sure. The, the history is actually quite interesting. Uh, when I was doing my research, I found out that psychedelics were used, at least um, they found evidence five millennia ago. But contemporary, contemporarily speaking, history of psychedelics began in 1938 when person named Albert Hoffman, which is uh, the father of psychedelics, uh, he was a chemist and he worked in an area of Switzerland called Basel. And he actually discovered LSD. He was only 32 so very young, when he wanted to synthesize a chemical compound that would actually stimulate the respiratory and circulatory systems. So obviously we know that that didn't happen for LSD. So this compound, interestingly enough, was named LSD-25. And since it didn't stimulate respiratory and circulatory systems, it was stored away 
until the year of 1943 when Albert decided to resynthesize it again. Um, and when he was doing it, actually small amounts of LSD got onto his fingertips. So on the fateful day of April 19th, at exactly 4.20, he decided to take 250 millionths of a gram of LSD, which is a huge dose. He was having a trip. So because he was feeling these effects, he asked his assistant to escort him home. And because of wartime restrictions, cars were not allowed. Both men were on bicycles. So this nowadays, if you don't know what 420 is, nowadays, this is called bicycle day because Albert started to feel the effects of LSD when he was riding his bicycle home. I would not recommend to anybody to try LSD when they're riding their bikes. Uh, then in 1958, Albert was also the same person who isolated psilocybin from mushrooms, which no nowadays it's called magic mushrooms. So then we move to the 1940s and 1950s, uh, where a pharmaceutical company named Sandoz actually used to market LSD to assist in psychotherapy. And then this, in fact, led to the discovery of other psychedelics, which includes ketamine, as well as ecstasy or MDMA. So in the 1970s, unfortunately, all of these substances were started to be controlled uh, because of the Drugs Act, and it eliminated all further activity and research with the psychedelics, unfortunately. So tell us, how do these psychedelics exactly work? Yeah, so uh, psychedelics, obviously, we're going to go through the classes and talk them talk them out individually. But in general, psychedelics like psilocybin mimic serotonin. So all these drugs work as 5-H2A agonists, which is serotonin in the brain. So this, by chance, or by matter of fact, how serotonin works, increases glutamate. So if, if there is something wrong with the circuit connectivity in the brain, and we obviously know that this circuit connectivity issue is... Uh, something core to a lot of different mental illnesses. What psychedelics do in the brain, we believe, is reset certain circuits. Now, these circuits may be involved in anxiety, depression, OCD, um, and they basically try and get these circuits back into a normal functioning order. So, for those who have really not tried it, psychedelics produce these profound alterations in perception. So this is especially in the visual system, where both elemental alterations in shapes, such as squares, circles, and polygons, and you also have hallucinations, and these include complex visual hallucinations, like dreams. So there's another thing that can also happen with psychedelics, and that's a boundary disturbance. So, and that's an ego boundary, I should say, and this is what, what the way people describe it is it becomes more diffuse and often people describe becoming more in touch with distant worlds, traveling to different sort of galaxies. So that's, that's another one. And then a big one that a lot of people also talk about is synesthesia. I hope I'm saying that right, Dr. DeVries. So this is the merging of different senses. So this can uh, 
basically talk about giving enhanced perception and enjoyment of music or touch and the feeling sensation often with um, MDMA or ecstasy is referenced. So the reason people often use psychedelics is because with these alterations in perceptions, boundary disturbances, changes in sensation, they can really gain insights into themselves and lead to profound positive changes in behavior as well as having an increased sense of well-being after just a single exposure. Wow, it seems like there's a lot of positives there. Yeah, I think we are only scratching the surface right now in what the positives are regarding psychedelics. Now, I'm not here to tell you there's no positives. There's only positives and no negatives. There certainly are negatives with, with some of these drugs. And they these drugs need to be used in careful judicial consideration with the help of a physician or chemist or or pharmacist right so let me tell you some of the downsides of taking taking psychedelics such as psilocybin Um, so there are short and long-term effects of it so in the short term when you just ingest the the drug um, the effects are you could have increase in blood pressure breathing rate loss of appetite dry mouth um, uncoordinated movements paranoia or even psychosis. Now there are long terms and long-term effects of, of these drugs and they include persistent psychosis and something called HPPD or hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. So this is ha- this happens when you take drugs mostly not after the first use but people that are chronic users and they can get a sort of flashbacks without warning for years after taking the uh, hallucinogen. Now, have you ever seen a person like this in the ER? Yeah, I think it's pretty common. Um, It's usually not from hallucinogens in any emergency room state. Um, I think I've seen it with bath salts before as well as with methamphetamine. Um, They work a little differently, but definitely uh, I, I know you and I have both seen patients that have had weeks or months of serious uh, psychosis symptoms after this that keep them unfortunately hospitalized and again you know this is with a different class but it's a similar side effect i actually had one patient that came into the emergency room he was in his 20s um and told me that he has been taking LSD since he was 16 years old on a daily basis almost, and not even in the microdose level. And he actually had the HPPD, so he would describe kind of flashbacks to me, and and he would have visual hallucinations on a daily basis. And what was sad about that case was that we couldn't really control it with heavy-duty antipsychotics. So it's not... So this disorder is not like the cream um cream of the crop schizophrenia you get kind of different psychotic symptoms i don't think you mean cream of the crop you mean run of the mill okay whatever the saying in english is uh yeah i i understand what you mean in in terms of this is kind of refractory to treatment and it operates at a level beyond that that we currently understand of hallucinations and psychosis as in the mostly dopaminergic and serotonergic theories. It must there must be something else that causes it. So that brings me to a question: What is the current status of psychedelics in psychiatry? So, 
basically at the point at this point in time they are there's a lot of studies and investigations going on so most notably obviously you've heard of esketamine spravado um, that's obviously licensed for the treatment of uh, suicidal ideation in depression however there's a lot of other ones that are currently being investigated um, for the treatments of depression anxiety ptsd suicidality ocd and obviously personality traits as well However, for a lot of these drugs, they're still in the very early phases um, and they're not ready for clinical use. The only thing is that a couple of years ago, the FDA did declare that psilocybin is a breakthrough drug. And as such, um, they are looking uh, for different uses and possibilities for it. Ketamine and ecstasy have also been declared in the same area as breakthrough drugs. And this basically means uh, being declared a breakthrough drug is that they will test it heavily on, hopefully, on patients. Yeah, to see what, what is effective, what is useful. So let's discuss some of these psychedelics in a little more detail. Okay, well, let's, let's start with um, the magic mushroom, psilocybin. So it actually comes from certain types of mushrooms found in the subtropical regions in South America, Mexico, and even in the USA. And this has been used for millennia by certain cultures. So I think a lot of listeners may or may not have heard around uh, the term microdosing. And uh, this is really prevalent um, with psychedelics and especially so in psilocybin. Right. So I have been reading a lot about microdosing and actually there's a huge community on Reddit. Um, so tens of thousands of people are, are part of these microdosing communities. And um, like I said, they could be found on Reddit. And what they do is that they take between five to 10% of a standard dose. So they do not actually get a, a psychedelic effect. So they do not get the visual disturbances or hallucinations. So then someone did a survey on these um, people on Reddit. And the bottom line was that there was no evidence for microdosing alleviating a mental disorder. But they discovered that subjectively, these people reported improved mood and increased creativity, which was really interesting to read. Yeah. So, okay, again, one of those things that it may be helpful, but again, we don't have much in terms of statistical data, peer review studies to back it up yet. I actually tried to find these microdosing communities on Reddit. I could not find it. I don't know how you find these things on Reddit, to be honest. I mean, you have to be good at Reddit. I, I think you could find it. I don't know about that. You're pretty good at Reddit. Maybe. Well, that's a topic for another time. So let's move on to MDMA. So I will try my best to pronounce it. And MDMA stands for 3,4-methylethylene-dioxymethamphetamine. Wow. Great job. So this was uh, really synthesized uh, by Alexander Shulgin. So he was a well-known biochemist and psychopharmacologist and synthesized this in the 1970s and tested it out himself. Of course, as they all do. I know, right? It, it sounds like he took it upon himself to make the world a better place. So he was known as the godfather of ecstasy, but in reality, it was really synthesized in 1912 by Merck Pharmaceuticals at the time to help with blood clotting. Obviously, it did not work well for hemorrhage, for 
uh, to stop blood clotting. Um, I mean, to start, to help blood clot, I should say. But it was found instead to have an empathogenic effect, the loved up effect, or loved up state, I should say, and that it helped facilitate couples therapy. So it was then kind of introduced to the music scene and then more recently to the rave scene. And But before this, it got scheduled by the FDA. But the reason it's useful in psychiatry is this loved up effect, this empathogenic effect puts you in touch with emotions, um, overwhelming feelings, sensations. So you could see why it could be helpful in couples therapy. Right. And this holds a huge clinical significance. Yes. So what's interesting about MDMA is that it produces decreased activity in the brain, not increased. This is usually what you you would think it produces increase with this loved up effect. But this decreased activity in certain areas of the brain explains why MDMA can be useful for PTSD. Because in general, general talking in generalities regarding PTSD, you have an overactivation of certain areas of the brain when there is trauma or a triggering event. So when if they use MDMA, hopefully it decreases that sensation so that you're able to overcome it, work through it, and to kind of extinguish that fear response. Right. And I just wanted to quickly go over um, the rest of the hallucinogens real quickly. So there's LSD, which described uh, it was the first psychedelic, was first promoted in psychiatry to be integrated in psychotherapy, as I said before. There's peyote or mescaline, which is a small spineless cactus uh, with mescaline as its main ingredient. And this can also be pharmacologically synthesized as well in a laboratory. There's also DMT, which stands for dimethyltryptamine. And it looks like a bit like psilocybin. And Many of you have heard maybe of ayahuasca, where um, there could be these retreats in Mexico where people get ayahuasca and have this amazing experience. And this is actually a tea. Ayahuasca is a tea made from plants, which combines the DMT and a second plant that prolongs the effect of the hallucinogen itself, which is interesting. I've never knew that before. And like I said, there's also ketamine and esketamine. So these substances are actually referred to as disassociative anesthetics. And they have been around for a very long time and was actually approved in 1970. So it also targets glutamate. And this, in fact, sets in motion elasticity in the brain. So this elasticity leads to alleviation of the depressive symptoms and suicidality. So that's how it works on acutely suicidal patients that we experience in the ER. Okay, thank you, Dr. DeVries. So uh, the one, um, we're gonna dive in a little more detail now is LSD. So kind of way back when, um, there were, before PTSD was really a psychiatric dosis, diagnosis, I should say, or talked about, um, there, LSD and psilocybin and ketamine was used in the Netherlands to help people in the treatment of what was then called concentration camp syndrome. So the core of this therapy 
was at the time enabling clients to re-experience traumatic events with an appropriate emotional uh, reaction under therapeutic guidance. The main working, the main figure, I should say, working with the approach was this Dutch psychiatrist, Jan Bastians. You have enough A's in there? Um, he treated hundreds of patients. So in a long-term follow-up of only 12 patients, all but one reported moderate to strong improvement after treatment with this method. It is known from the literature on psycholytic treatments in the 1960s that many traumatized patients have been treated with these classical psychedelics. However, at the time, they were not diagnosed with PTSD due to the lack of knowledge and kind of a consistent diagnosis in the field. Right, because PTSD was introduced only in the DSM, uh, the third edition of it. Yes, exactly. So... To our knowledge, there's no real studies looking at classical psychedelics for the treatment of PTSD. However, DMT-containing plant concoction aquasia and ayahuasca ayahuasca there you go has recently been proposed as a candidate for its treatment. Um, as Dr. DeVries talked about, the way it, it comes from plants, but basically, again, they're looking at different treatments for PTSD, and a lot of these studies and trials really focus on PTSD, depression, and anxiety at this point in time. So, Dr. DeVries, I think this is slightly coming to the end of our topic du jour today. Right, I and I think I, I should add that there are many specific challenges with studying uh, people with PTSD with these substances because they already have heightened arousal and sensitivity induced by these substances and they can also exacerbate it. So in some, there is tentative clinical evidence that these substances may be helpful with PTSD, but obviously more rigorous studies are needed and are currently in progress as well. So like I said, this this is a work in progress and none of the drugs mentioned is yet approved and demonstrated safety and efficacy except for ketamine and esketamine but i think it will be very interesting to see in our careers as starting out attendings and psychiatrists um, that maybe one day we can integrate this into our own practice yeah, just once, as with everything in time, um, what's old is once new again. And I think giving enough time and new studies and therapies and also, uh, I should say, the concentration and refinement of these drugs into more useful substances, hopefully we can find ourselves with different new treatments, modalities and understanding of PTSD, depression, anxiety, and who knows what else. Can you imagine how different our training would be if we could test these substances on ourselves just like Albert Hoffman did? I shudder to think about that. <laughs> so thank you for joining us for our seventh episode. And if you have any questions, write us on the comments section and please give us a five-star review. And rate and subscribe. Thank you for listening. Bye now.